normally work on the sermons on Tuesdays. Uh, Tuesday is the day that I set aside during the week to just sit with the text and um, just ask God to move in me. I think about you guys on Tuesdays a lot. I keep you in mind while I'm working on the message. Um, but typically what happens is the message needs to first speak to me uh, before it can speak to you guys. So I have you in my mind on Tuesdays. But on this last Monday night, uh, my daughter got into a jam. Um, she lives in Birmingham and she needed the last minute babysitter. And so she called and she said, Dad, I know tomorrow is Tuesday and that you typically set aside Tuesdays to work on the sermon, but I'm in a jam and could you come to Birmingham and take care of your granddaughter on Tuesday? So would you stand while we close this gathering in prayer? <laughs> Just kidding. I found time. I know some of you are now disappointed. I found time to work on this message. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn with me to Genesis chapter 25, verse 24. Genesis 25, verse 24. Last week we began our Advent study. Matt talked about it a few moments ago. Uh, we're calling it Roots. Advent and the family story of Jesus. We have some Advent devotionals on the back corners uh, by the communion stations if you want to grab one and follow along with us. The introduction to the Advent devotion says this, when we think of Christmas and the season of Advent that anticipates it, many of us think of family. It is that strange mix of people that we call mothers and fathers and sisters, brothers, cousins, aunts, uncles, and grandparents, and great-grandparents, and even non-family members who aren't blood-related to us, but we feel as though they could be. Around here, that feeling of that group of people there at the end, that's our, that's our church family. We call it here, we call it our faith family. This is our faith family. This is a little bit of who we are. This faith family, like every faith like every family or every faith family, we have our own quirks and challenges. We have our own hang-ups. But we are a family that is bonded by love and faith. We're a family that's bonded by mutuality, a family that's marked by grace. And some of you know this, but tomorrow, this faith family celebrates our 12th birthday. So happy birthday to all of you guys. 12 years, 12 years, Sonny. That's kind of crazy. 12 years, that's a long time. Well, I, think, I think that's worthy of a, ha, uh, maybe a bit more of an enthusiastic hand clap. Yes, okay. <laughs> uh, somebody asked me the other day what it was like to lead a church that is 12 years old. And my immediate response was, do you remember when your kids were 12 years old? What was that like? Any of you parents of 12-year-olds? You kind of know what this is like? I'll just say this real quickly. Uh, it's one of the greatest honors of my life to have shepherded this church for the last 11 years. You guys are a gift. Every single one of you are a gift, and I am grateful for you. May we continue to be transformed by the gospel, to live in love like Jesus, and may it begin in me. Well, the story that we're going to look at today focuses on the family, and specifically this guy named Jacob, this family, that's a lineage of Jesus. It's really important for us to remember the connection for, for Jesus and Israel. Israel was this nation that God set aside as his chosen people. And they were given this blessing 
they were to be this example, this community, a testimony, if you will, to the rest of the world of what it looks like to be a people that follows God. And they would carry this inherent blessing, this God-given blessing, in which then they could bless the rest of the world. Uh, you probably know this. The blessings originally given to Adam and Eve at creation. The creation narrative includes this idea of blessing. But by the end of Genesis chapter 12, uh, the story of the Tower of Babel, uh, the blessing is given to another family. Um, that family begins with Abraham and Sarah. Many of you know their story. Their story is actually a story of great conflict and pain. They, they spread conflict and pain as much as they spread God's blessing. And by the time we meet Abraham's grandson, his name is Jacob, it seems like the whole plan has backfired. So here's where we first meet Jacob. Genesis chapter 25, beginning at verse 24. When the time came uh, for her to give birth, this is Jacob's mom. When it came time for her to give birth, there were two, or excuse me, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping at Esau's heel, so he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. The boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Isaac, the father, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. The little note here in my Bible at the bottom says Esau's name means hairy. And Jacob, his name means he grasps the heel, uh, the Hebrew idiom, for he deceives. Um, but there's a bigger problem at play here. You probably caught it. Um, it's not hidden, it's in plain sight. We'll just look at it real quick. Verse 28. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Just want you to sit in the weight of that line for just a second. Two boys, one loved by their father and one not. You don't have to be a psychology major, I don't think, to know where this story is going. Uh, we don't hear much of their childhood. You can probably fill in the blanks. One thing that we can easily surmise about Jacob is it takes him a really, really long time to grow up. In fact, overcoming this thing with his dad is going to take a while. It's going to take his whole life. I've shared this with you before, but it rings so true as I think about this story uh, in his book, The Cure for Parents, John Lynch writes these words, When your children are young, being the parent carries enough control to handle them, whatever the situation, but if you don't grow up as they grow older, your immaturity will stunt their maturity at the level of your own. And then he says, To the degree you touch, the degree to which your children trust you is the degree to which they will let you love them, and influence them. We're going to find that the story of Jacob is stunted somewhere 
around age 12. Well, here's some more of their story. Verse 29. Once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. And he said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. Uh, that's why it's also called Edom. Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die. Esau said, what good is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore on an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank and then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. The cunning hunter fell into a better hunter's trap, becoming prey to his own appetite. Jacob tricks his brother out of his birthright. This is a really big deal. It might not sound like a big deal. In fact, it doesn't even sound like a big deal to Esau. Esau is sort of, you know, he's rejecting this whole thing kind of passively. But what Esau is really rejecting is this divinely given vision of his forefathers. This big, strong hunter-gatherer is actually incredibly passive, and it will cost him. And you know this, and I know this. Our passivity will cost us. It might even cost us everything. Well, Jacob's not done grabbing. He's not done grasping. There's a couple of stories. We won't dive into them. But over in chapter 27, you'll find Jacob and his mom in this elaborate plan trying to trick her husband, Jacob's dad, into Esau, getting Esau's blessing. It wasn't enough that Jacob wanted to steal his birthright. Now... They're figuring out how to get Esau's blessing from his father. In many ways, I think that's probably what Jacob is looking for more than anything else. Jacob is looking for blessing from his father. And if he can't receive it, he's going to try to steal it. Now, he cheats his brother. He tricks his father. And then there's this story of Jacob being swindled by a guy named Laban. Uh, you can read about that over in Genesis 31. Jacob eventually figures out how to swindle the swindler. Jacob actually represents a new low in the human drama. Doesn't get much lower than this guy. All through Jacob's life, he's trying to swindle and steal and grasp for something. He's willing to trade anything Anything, whatever it takes to get what he wants. He is the epitome of selfishness. And this is the part of the story that I think is totally bananas. Jacob is striving, fighting, grasping, stealing, hustling for something that God has already given him. God has already given him his blessing. It's his to receive. He's part of the family, but he doesn't want it that way. One more interesting chapter of Jacob's story, if you have your Bibles turned over to chapter 32. Uh, beginning at verse 7 and 8. It's one just interesting chapter of Jacob's story. Jacob hears that his brother is coming to meet him, and he hears that as his brother is coming to meet him, he's bringing 400 soldiers. Jacob hasn't seen his brother in a really long time, and he assumes that his brother is coming for revenge. He's bringing 400 soldiers. This is verse 7. Chapter 32, in great fear and distress, Jacob divides the people who are with him into two groups, and the flocks and the herds and the camels as well. He thought if Esau comes and attacks one group, the group that is left may escape. 
Makes pretty clear Jacob's afraid. He divides his family in half, begins to hedge his bets. He decides, maybe, maybe I could buy forgiveness from my brother. Maybe I could bless him. Maybe buy security and safety. And the next couple of verses in the text talk about how Jacob sends these extravagant gifts uh, sort of in advance to Esau, kind of preemptive to set this whole stage for this meeting. He's thinking maybe, you know, some gifts will put him in a better mood. And so he sends 220 goats and 220 ewes and rams and 30 camels and 50 cows and bulls and 30 donkeys and a cat. (laughs) Just kidding on the cat part, just making sure I made that part up. There's no cat in the story. The cat's not even a biblical animal. (laughs) Apparently God doesn't even like cats, but anyway, that's too much. Just kidding. Christy, just kidding. We are a quirky family around here. God does like cats. Just making sure you're still awake, still with me. Verse 32, uh, excuse me, verse 22. That night, Jacob got up and he took his wives. <laughs> he took his two female servants and his 11 sons and he crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all of his possessions and now Jacob's alone. He's on the other side of this little river called Jabbok. In the Hebrew, Jacob and Jabbok and the word wrestle, they all come from the same root word. So you can only imagine what must be going on in Jacob's head. He's afraid. He's alone. He has had multiple encounters with God. If you know some of his story, you know that God has shown up multiple times in this guy's story, but he's afraid and he's alone. And it doesn't appear that he prays. Calvin Miller writes, sometimes we must deal with our own past before we can have hope, before we can hope to have any future. Just like the Rio separates Texas from Mexico. The past and the future are separated by a tiny little stream called the Jabbok. And the Jabbok is a place of honesty. And here's probably a 90-year-old Jacob who is not skipping rocks in the stream of self-reflection and honesty. Verse 24. So Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him till daybreak. And when the man saw that he could not overpower Jacob, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled the man. And then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. It kind of sounds like a 12-year-old to me. They're wrestling all night long, you know. And the man says, let me go. And Jacob says, I will not let you go. We're going to wrestle this out. You're going to wrestle all night long. Verse 27, the man asks, what's your name? Jacob, he answers. Verse 28, then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome Jacob says, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask me my name? And then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place 
Peniel saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. Quick question, any of you ever wrestle with God? How about a hand raise on this one? Any of you ever wrestled with God? Yeah, I think so. Any, I mean, really wrestled. Let's be honest, honesty time. Anybody wrestled all night long? Uh, more times than I can count. Uh, this is just me. I was just thinking many of those times that I wrestled with God had something to do with me as a dad. Wrestling with God over something that was affecting one of my kids. Funny thing about wrestling with God, there is no pinning him down. Uh, much of my wrestling matches, at least, have not ended with clarity, but with mystery. And yet, an assurance that I am not alone, and His way is best. His way is best. Some of you here this morning uh, might be wrestling. I want to just encourage you, wrestle it out. Don't give up. Wrestle it out. Wrestle it all night long. One of the unique dynamics of Christianity is we believe that we have a personal relationship with God. This is one of those places where that truth is never more true. If God has initiated, if God has picked a fight with you, like he's picked a fight with Jacob, I want to encourage you to wrestle it out. We did a men's study a few years ago here on Friday mornings, and we called it Wrestle. Some of you might have been here participated in that study and one of the simple truths that we talked about in the middle of the word wrestle w-r-e-s-t-l-e in the middle of the word wrestle you'll find the word rest and i believe that's true that there is rest in the wrestle whatever it is wrestle it out in this story, God doesn't go straight for the pin, Jacob. He allows Jacob to wrestle with him, twisting and turning, bodies straining, muscles pounding, and eventually God touches his hip. It's a touch that says, this self-sufficiency must end, Jacob. You can trust me. You can trust me. It'll be his suffering That'll finally open Jacob up to receive God's blessing. Jacob learns the blessing that Paul learns. My grace is sufficient for your every need. God's power is made evident through our weakness, not our strength. And something begins to change in Jacob. The thing that he's been striving for, grasping for, wrestling for, hustling for his whole life has been with him all along it's god's presence the most amazing part of this story to me at least is that god never abandons jacob like god could have given up on jacob time and time again but god never gives up on him in fact god actually commits himself even more to jacob if you read the rest of his story, you'll see that God commits himself even more to Jacob. There's a line from Tim Mackey at the Bible Project. He says this, God is so committed to his promise that he will chase his people with severe mercy 
to get them to receive his blessing. Just keep your finger there and slide over to Genesis 33. One more story of Jacob. This is the ending of the story of this chapter of his big story. Jacob looks up, and there was Esau coming with his 400 men. So he divides the children among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants, and he puts the, puts the female servants and their children in the front. Leah and her children next, Rachel and Joseph in the rear. He's got a lot to learn, even still. He himself went on ahead, and he bowed to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they wept. After a whole childhood of living as enemies and two decades now of strangers, now they're brothers. And then Jacob makes one of the greatest statements, I think, in all of Scripture, Jacob says to his brother, Genesis 33:10, "When I saw your face, it was like seeing the face of God." Wow. Because once you've wrestled with God, once you've been touched by God, things begin to change. You begin to change. So much so that you begin to see God differently, maybe even in the face of someone a brother who's been your mortal enemy for 20 years. Back to the previous chapter, verse 28, God changes Jacob's name to Israel. This is really huge. This whole story is a prophetic parable anticipating the rest of the nation of Israel's long struggle with God. Israel's going to struggle with God, and they're also going to end up in exile, just as Jacob had. Jacob's going to have 12 sons, which will become the 12 tribes of Israel. And from one of those tribes, the tribe of Judah, God will raise up the ultimate Israelite, Jesus. Jesus, who will also wrestle with God into the night. Jesus, who will also suffer so that you and I could experience ultimate healing. I think this little story is the story of the whole Bible. God's tender and relentless pursuit of his sons and daughters of you and me. A couple questions before I close. I have five questions, actually. Maybe you could choose one or two and talk about these later on at lunch or with a friend or this afternoon. What's one thing you've chased after in life? Approval or love or something like that. And, and how have you chased after it? How does this story make you question and reevaluate the things that you are chasing after now? What would it take for you to surrender your own schemes and open up your wounded hands to receive his blessing. What would it take? Who's your tag team partner in the wrestle? 
uh, man, if there's one thing that I've learned in the last 11 years of leading this church, of wrestling for the heart of this church, the souls of this church, I cannot do it alone. Cannot wrestle for the souls of your family alone. Can't do it. Gotta invite somebody with you. Who's your tag team partner in the wrestle? And then lastly, how has God intervened in your life to help you receive his gifts? These are uh, the words of Jesus in the book of Revelation. He says, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the rights to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Let's pray together. Jesus, we give you praise. We give you praise for your ultimate victory. May we hear your still small voice calling our name. And may we open the door of our hearts to you deeper still. And may we fully surrender and receive so that we too may become victorious. I pray in Jesus' name.